Hello folks and welcome to the Gallant Fuse Premier League show. My name's Colin McDuff and I'm having another rare hosting appearance. Um, I'm one half of a duo tonight and I'm joined by Johnny. How are you tonight, my friend? I'm good, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back on. Hello to yourself and hello to the listeners. Yep, ah, good to have you back on as always, mate. That's um, you made the joke last week, and I'm really starting to feel guilty now about um, every pod you're on. It's just one other person. Um, I promise you, it's not just a merry-go-round of who babysits Johnny this week. Yeah, who wants to go with that wallop? Nobody. <laughs> no, um, it's affecting man. You're the mainstay holding this podcast together. Um, so quite a fair bit to get into, as always. We the world of the English Premier League. Um, but f- first of all, um, like, we can't even really start anywhere other than uh, Bournemouth um, and giving our best wishes to, to Tom um, Walker, uh, Johnny. It, when you see stuff like that, um, it just really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Um, it's good to see that he's in a stable condition but it's it's a frightening it's it's a horrible thing to see in, in a football pitch yeah mate it's it's a scare it's it's part of life unfortunately um we've seen it a few times but one thing i will say with the football community is they really do rally when something like that happens we've seen it with um was it Mwamba when he well, he nearly passed away, didn't he? We've seen it with Ericsson, we've seen it twice with Tom Walker. They do all pull together, which is which is a good thing. It's important. It really is, and it's aye because it, it's a game of football. Is um, but we're just watching twenty-two men chase a daft wee ball about for ninety minutes at the end of the day. But it's um, it's good to see they they look together. Um, not to turn it into too much of an agenda point because the main thing is that he's all right. But I, I can't help but thinking you're hearing more and more about players um, talk about the heavy schedule and pushing their bodies to the limit. Um, I I just can't help but think that we we need to start taking the warning signs. Um, I'm not a medic, medical professional, obviously. I'm not saying how much this is directly related, but when you see more and more players pop up with these type of incidents um, and more and more players call out that they're being overworked, overstretched and putting their body to beyond physical boundaries, I think we need to do something about it soon, man. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we've touched on it in a pod before about the fixture load. Uh, and not just a fixture load, obviously the season is very competitive as it is, especially for the players playing at the top end. Um, I mean, it's hard for them all, but you have teams like, you know, your cities and that, and even like now you've got Villa, you've got Brighton, you've got West Ham, these teams are playing on every front. And I think it, it probably rings a wee bit more true when they don't have the squad depth. Um, there's no, you know, the rotation is really limited. They don't have the, the quality to cover those players. Um, so they're playing a hell of a lot more football. And you're right, they're playing it. It's like a they have to, it's like a they're demanded that they play at the very, very highest peak every game. So training is to the very, very top of their performance. They're expected to play like that, perform like that every single game. And I think you're right, it's maybe just a bit too much. I think we do, you know, I've always been guilty as well of being one of those people who oh, it's a game of football. You're kicking a ball about for ninety minutes and you're getting paid fortunes, but that's probably a wee bit ignorant, really. When you when you look at the bigger picture, I do think we're going to see more of it because these competitions, all the com, even look at the international competitions, they keep expanding them, adding more games, making more teams qualify. Probably a good thing for Scotland, but not for many other people. So you've got all of that international level, you've got domestic cups, you've got now the Europa League's a much bigger format, much more games. Champions League's going to be going the same way. Already went that way, now it's going that way again. And they do all these world tours, all this pre-season nonsense, and that's all money-based, nothing else, uh, to, to increase the scope in foreign climates. So I think it's just too much, mate. I think they put too much weight on these players. Uh, and it, when we seen it at the weekend, that we, we see how alarming, uh, sorry, how alarming it can be. So I don't know. I think greed is the thing that's going to stop it improving unless it gets really bad. Yeah, and, and I just really do hope something 
has changed and not just a, a lip service change. Something something concrete happens. No, so, some concrete change for the better happens. Uh, before, you know, somebody does suffer at the, at the hands of greed. Um, because even you're talking about the Champions League, Europa League, we now have the Conference League, so more and more teams are playing more and more football. The travelling involved alone, like... All the listeners would have been in long journeys, long drives home, long train journeys, jet lagged after um, holidays, whatever you name it. But then to do that on a semi-regular basis, as well as your full-time job, pushing your body to the boundaries, it's it's just no, it's it's no feasible long term. But the main thing is right now, Tom Walker is stable and he's on the mend. Um, but yeah, hundred percent. I'm just a good journey, kind of lead me into the next talking point. And obviously, it's a Premier League show, and we are going to get into the, the Premier League yeah, talking points. But I do think we kind of need to touch on it again because it's weird, it's ugly head, the Euro Super League. Um, we spoke about it at length in the summer um, between the five of us. Um, our kind of revamped formats came out where. Um, there'll be three tiers. You'll have the star tier with 16 teams, the gold tier with 16 teams, and the blue tier with. Um, uh, 32 teams and the big thing here there's promotion and relegation between each tier and relegation from the bottom tier as well so basically the top two of each tier go up and down and if you're the in the bottom 20 of the blue tier then you will drop out and another 20 teams will go in based on the performance um Bayern Munich have openly said that they're not um, going to go ahead with it does that put the the blocks on it straight away, or is there, is there too much touching for the English clubs? I think, again, we come back to money, mate. It really does. That's the only thing enticing teams um, to increase their scope abroad, to bring in, break in more cash. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it originally. I thought it was just... However you try to paint it, and it's the same with this one, however you're trying to paint it, I think it just spits in the face of fans. I, I really do. Um uh, the whole thing just—I keep going back to it, but it just reeks agreed me. I, I was looking—I was looking over the the setup you were talking about with the the coloured system, and uh, it just seems like a nonsense. And you seen the outpouring the last time? I mean, there was actual rage. Nobody wanted it. No fans want this thing, and they're still going ahead with it, which tells you that you are an afterthought. I'm an afterthought. Any fans at every single game, they don't care. If they want to push it through, they're going to try. But and I still believe me. I still believe the power lies with the fans and the people. If they make enough noise, um, teams will back down. Slowly but surely, they'll bottle out. One will go, two will go, and it will domino fall again. I did get a counterpoint for Jamie. Um, he actually voice noted me because I think he got when he seen what we were talking about this. He was not. Uh, he was a wee bit gutted to be missing out on it. You know. Uh, so I'd say we'll just, uh, it just before like... you read that out, um, yeah. I think it's only to point out the breaking news why Jamie's not here. Jamie Royals is returned to football, <laughs> and there will be a full, a full post-match reaction available in the pod next week, um, dissecting his performance. Don't you worry, listeners. I'm just hoping he takes a photo post-match, mate. I'm assuming he'll look like a hemorrhoid. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's ending well for the boy. So if you don't hear for Jamie in the next few weeks, you know why. Um, now, he, he was saying that Champions League format, as it is, he said 92% of this current format is not populated by champions. They are not current champions. Uh, it's all second, third, fourth. And he says the reason they thinks they do that is because some of these bigger clubs, he says his own club, to be fair, I mean, he's like your Liverpool or whoever else, they can still get these big names in the competition, which kind of rings true with these Super Leagues. It's very similar. So, yeah, I think he called it a glorified... The Champions League is a glorified league. That was the word they used. Um, the, the European Super League doing the same thing. We already have it. It's called the Champions League. Says UEFA, who are in charge of the Champions League, however, have been convicted of corruption five times. Are they any better than the people that are offering the Super League? Right. So I mean, it has a point. But then I would ring with that. I would say, well, 
why would we need to change it then if it's pretty much the same thing you know it's a similar format it's the same kind of thing it's kind of pandered into these bigger teams which it is they want the bigger teams in with the bigger following worldwide because it generates more money and more eyes more eyes more tv money and so on and so forth um i agree with what you're saying about the champions league i think the champions league has went way too far towards trying to cater to everybody it should never be about that it should be about champions um should be the best of the best I just don't like it. Mesut Ozil, I don't know if you read Mesut Ozil's comments on it. He posted something today. Um, and he was saying pretty much what we've heard a lot of before, that as a player, he wanted to play in the best competitions, whether it be uh, winning the domestic league, winning the Champions League, playing in the World Cup, the European Cup, so on and so forth. This is not about football. He was calling it anti-football, which is kind of where my stance is. But... Aye. Um I don't think the current setup is perfect. I think it's far from it. It's far too weighted to the bigger, the so-called bigger teams in the bigger divisions weighing the more money. But this doesn't really improve it. It's better than its last incarnation, but like taking out the Scottish football bias that we have here, let's talk about someday like Red Star Belgrade, for example. Right? They... If they win the league right now, they have a crack at the Champions League and they play through qualifiers, yes. But if they win the league, they go into this blue star. If they don't do, or this blue tier, if they don't do very well, they're back out of it um, until the next time round. For somebody like, at least way, at least with the current setup, you've got the playoffs where you will get into the Champions League that season. Whereas if somebody like Red Star, Belgrade wanted to get into the star tier. They're going to have to punch above the weight in this blue tier, win that tier, and then over, like, get into, into the gold tier, stay a few years in that, then be one of two teams at top that as well to get into the, into the star tier. Um, the star tier with only 16, out of 16 teams, only two teams a season will drop out of it. it is pretty much just protecting the biggest of the biggest. Um, they're wanting the Real Madrid's Barcelona's Bayern Munich and the handful of English teams in PSG, the teams with the most money, they're there to protect it. If they do drop down, they will be back in it within a year. That's what they're aiming for. They're making it incredibly difficult for those kind of teams to fall out of our league. Um, you know, that's pretty much what you're saying. And you're right. You're 100% right. But, I mean, the Champions League is similar. It panders to teams that really shouldn't belong there. Um, it's done that for a long, a long time now. But then why do we need another one? How are they going to... What, what are they expecting to do? Are they expecting to push the Champions League aside? And then we come back to, again, more games, what we just touched in the first point. How do they balance that? I mean, there's so much football now. Where are they expecting it to fit in amongst everything? I don't. I just can't get my head around it. Not to mention how bloody complicated I've made it. It's so overly complicated when it doesn't need to be. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably advise the listeners to go and read through it and see they just listen to me spit about Blue Star and Red Star and all these fucking different acronyms. Um, but no, you're like, uh, back to your earliest point. The fans will have the biggest say in that, um, whether we buy into it or not. Um, I do hope that this incarnation of it forces UEFA to change what the current setup is because the current setup is too boring for the ordinary fans. Um, but that I'll, I'll, I'll take that with a pinch of salt, whether that happens or not. Shock horror that Real Madrid's president Perez um, declared that it was a great day for the history of football. Get yourself to fuck me, Jeezy yeah. peeps. Scumbag. Right, into the English Premiership then, because I don't know about you, Johnny, I could rant and rave about this for the full hour. Um, let's start with down the bottom of the league. Um, obviously, news broke since the last show. Um, Steve Cooper is out um, and Nunes is in after um, uh, a terrible, terrible run of form for Nottingham Forest. Um, I think, listening to yourself and Jamie last week, um, writing was on the wall um, for Steve Cooper, but what about Nunes uh, coming in um, as the manager there? Is it the right appointment? Can he get a tune out of this club? Uh, I think it's a big ask, mate. I think they're a club that's has a hugely inflated squad, and probably similar to Chelsea. 
in terms of personnel. Um, they've signed a lot of players on big contracts that they they ain't going to get short of anytime soon. I mean, good chance to get a new manager, Buzz. Um, but I would say consider me underwhelmed. I was looking at his record today. I mean, I had a fair idea of it anyway, but with the exception of he'd done a stint in Saudi, which you know about Al Etihad, and he'd done okay there. I think he won when he won the league with them. It was the first time they'd won it in, what, 14 years? Something like that. Uh, but he was obviously at Spurs. He got the bullet there. He was at Wolves, and at the end of that, he left by mutual consent, which is just a nicer way of saying he got the bullet there. Um, Porto, he got the bullet there. Uh, Valencia, there was a big shifty thing that went on because he was in charge, but then they, they were claiming that he was signing his own players through a mate's agency. Um, so they were getting hugely inflated fees and making a bunch in the cuts. So they he left, but yeah, he was told to leave, basically. So he done well at Rio Ave, that's where he kind of started. But other than that, he doesn't really have a, a flourishing record, managerial, to be honest with you, mate. I mean, he'd done okay at Wills when he was there. Towards the back end, it fell away, but he did do okay there. But I don't know, mate. I just think Forrest are going to struggle a wee bit. They're, they're missing a couple of the big players, and it's showing something awful. Apologies. I was showing him Nunez. Um, Nuno Espiritos. Um, apologies, listeners. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't quite see this. Um, if we and I know I don't want to send a, a hypocrite because we've all laughed and joked about the English manager merry-go-round when a club gets towards the bottom um, of the league in the relegation battle. You look for your Sean Dyches, you look for your Sam Allardyce, you look for your four-four-two Heinz baked beans loving Newcastle loving type manager. Just I, as much as I agree that English clubs need to get out of that and start having a wee bit of foresight, I don't think he's got the experience for a dogfight and there does have to be an element of that. Well, you want somebody who can build for the future. I don't think Nottingham Forest have that. As you said, they don't have the right level of squad. They need to move on a lot of players. There's nothing really you can build on. And there's no right to spend big in January. Um, I don't really know how he gets a tune out of this. Um, he's never really done this in his career, the dogfight. He's always had clubs in the ascendancy. If you look back at Wolves, like, oh, they were terrific that year in the Championship. And then he managed to he, he managed to just keep that buzz for the year after and a really strong, really strong finish in the Premier League. But this is a completely different set of players. Mate, mate, when he was at Spurs, he had a decent squad. I mean, obviously, he still had Kane, and there was some serious talent in that squad. I mean, I know they never, they've never actually got going, which has been their main concern. But they weren't terrible. I mean, they're always a top half team, and he only lasted. He didn't even get four months in that job. Sacked after four. I think it was three months and three weeks, something like that. They. And when he went to Al had they had. That's when they started spending big money. So they had a lot to money, a lot of money to spend. He's not going to get that for us. They spent a fortune. I can't see them going huge with the, the transfer window. Uh, I'm I'm just not convinced, mate. I'm not convinced by him. Um, I mean, it might prove me wrong. Many have, but I mean, it seemed like a likable guy. When We've he said time and time again. Sorry, Johnny. No, sorry, Johnny. Where you go? No, I, mean, I was just going to say, it seemed like a really nice, likable guy. I would like to see him do well. I just. I don't see it happening. <laughs> nah. So obviously down that end of the of the table, um Sheffield United lost two nothing to Chelsea, Everton beat Burnley two 0 away. Um the Luton game was obviously postponed. Just staying with Nottingham Forest and touching on Luton Burnley and Sheffield United is is there still three worst teams in Nottingham Forest? Is that maybe what's going to save him? Where he just has to get a wee bit of a, He doesn't have to turn it around. He just has to be slightly better than what they're doing. And he's going to be safe because there's, there's three worst teams there. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, mate. A very fair point. Um, the way that, That's the way it looks just now. Sheffield United will be hoping to get a buzz with Wilder back. They've had pretty tough fixtures and uh, they're not getting any better anytime soon. 
Burnley really haven't got going at all. The only win they've got was obviously against Sheffield. Um, I'll tell a lie, they've got two, that's a lie. Um, but Luton seem to have got their shape a wee bit. Maybe they could do a wee bit, I don't know. Probably the least one I would have chose out of that bottom three, but recently Luton have looked a lot more solid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I would guess that would be their thinking behind that uh, that move to him is as long as he does enough to keep those three behind him at bay, then we'll be fine and see where we are at the end of the season. I think all three of these clubs were looking at Everton um, as uh, a potential potential bogey team um, with a 10-point deduction. But if you're Sean Dykes, you're probably looking for a 10-point deduction every six months, man. If that's the type of reaction it gets, gets your players, um, that's... That's four on the bounce, man. Um, up to 16 points into 16th place. Um, uh, fair play. I, I've been heavily critical of the Sean Dyche appointment. Um, I still don't know if he's the right man long term, but like, talk, let's talk about Everton a wee while. Like, comfortable win over Burnley. Um, and and they're, they're, getting, they're getting victories. I mean, they've completely surprised me. I was the same. I mean, when they say I was so much critical as Daesh, I don't really hate Daesh. I think he's pretty much, he's very much Marmite. You know what I mean? He's just bland, boring, but does the job if you if that's what you're after. Um, and that's pretty much what he's doing at Everton. He's got them pretty similar to when he had Burnley playing quite well. They are a team of bruisers. They are a team of bullies. They are very, very hard, uh, very, very strong. Sorry, and I think that's exactly how he—that's—that's that's his mold. That's what he was looking for. Big target man up front. Um, but I mean, you got to give credit where it's due, mate. They've been excellent. Um, at the weekend there, they were well worth their victory, and the the, the games they've won recently, they've been they've been excellent. I, uh, I think they'll still have a blip here and there, mate. I think we'll probably see small patches where they go off form, but I think they'll do more than enough. But I agree, the reaction to that um, that deduction has been night and day because they started off shockingly bad and it looked like the writing might be on the wall and they might be one of the ones down. Uh, but right now it's not looking like that. I mean, I was reading today, that's the, the first time they've had four wins in a row in three years. And the last time they won four in a row without conceding was 21 years ago. I mean, that's crazy. Crazy start. Wild and we we've been leveling at them um, about their, their goal return. Um like out of the, the bottom seven, they've scored the most goals so far this season. They're starting to get goals and they're not just relying on Calvert Lewin for that. Um defensively, they've they've conceded the least goals in the bottom I'm looking at it here in, in the bottom 14, though. You need to go way up to fourth place, Man City, to find a club who's conceded less goals in the Premier League than Everton this season. Um, maybe we have been a, a wee bit overly critical of them, but uh, again, um, how how long do they? How long are they able to carry this form on for, uh, Johnny? Is this just a bounce in the face of adversity? I think it's definitely gave them a rocket up the ass. I think we can all see that. You can't really argue that. Um, but I think Dice is probably a big part of it as well. I give him credit. You know, he's made them incredibly hard to beat. You've seen them in the game at the weekend, uh, the goals they scored. They basically just bullied Burnley, bullied the keeper. Even for the second goal, the I forget who it was, but the lads went on for a challenge and he got bullied for a simple, he should have won the ball, but the strength beat him. And then uh, Keen ran in and made it 2 0. And th that seems to be their game. They've done that consistently over the last few weeks. Um, I think they're really going to rely on keeping certain players fit. I think for a squad like Everton, that's going to be key. I know you can say that about a lot of the squads in the Premier League, but I think for them, that, that would be huge. There's a few players in that team that are making them tick. Um, your Dakuri, your Onana, these kind of guys, these big bruisers in the middle of the park. If they lose them, I think that's maybe when we'll see a wee dip in form. Yeah, um, moving on to the to the other end of the league again, and I want to start talking about the title challenge because there's, there's a few clubs um, probably in this conversation, but I'm going to start at um, Anfield. Um, 
you know, like Jamie will be probably quite pleased he's not been asked about this one um, because I do think if Liverpool are serious title change contenders they need to see this as two points dropped um, nothing each with Man U obviously always a high pressure game um, big derby in the north of England um, what was your thoughts on this game Johnny? I thought Liverpool were trying to do their usual self um and come out the traps and blow Man United away. I mean, probably had that last time, you know, the big victory when there was 7 0 um, when they played them at home. And they're probably thinking they're going to do that again. I think United turned up not to lose. Um, I think that's a manager under a lot of pressure. So it probably set them up that way, you know, be dogged, don't give much away, and we'll try and come away with something. And to be fair, they should have. They should have scored first with Hoyland. They, they, they had the better chances early on. But after that, it was pretty much all Liverpool and Man United had the backs to the wall. And I can understand it. I'm not knocking it. Sometimes you need to do what you need to do to try and get points back on the board. Um, but yeah, I think Liverpool should have won that game probably comfortably, mate. Um, I said last week, Liverpool have kind of went under the radar a wee bit. You know, we, we talk a lot about Arsenal. We talk about Man City, even Villa's form. Whereas Liverpool are ticking away and sitting well up there. And if we're talking about challengers, uh, it doesn't mean they're going to be a challenger at the end. But right now they are. Uh, I think that probably suits them. They're probably enjoying that wee bit, you know, not as much focus on them while they're still churning their out results. And there's only one point between it now. Uh, I think I've seen probably a mixed reaction to um, the Liverpool Man U game, but I think it's far. I think it's far too harsh to be writing Liverpool off. Um, I think it is very much a whip. I mean, you need to go back to April, um, April twenty twenty three for the last time that they didn't score in a competitive game. It's it's wild, and you're right. They did set up um, the usual self. Um, they dominated the ball. They had most of the chances. Um, but yeah, it's a long season. You are going to have these blips here and there. And I think the important thing is that they just bounce back from it. Um, and I think we've seen enough uh, from them. They've like they dropped a point. They've had a couple of silly draws so far, uh, but they've come back all the stronger for it and went on a run. Um, on Man U, how big a point is that for Man U or given Liverpool, they maybe caught Liverpool on a bit of an off day, it was that maybe some, a game where Eric Ten Hag should have looked for a bit more breathing space? Uh, no, I, I think it was probably the, I think he played the only card he's got, I mean he could have went for it but I think if he went for it with that team he'd have got cut to pieces um, yeah. he would have got caught, I think probably although it was, you know it was dog meat on the eyes uh Sometimes you just have to do that. And end of the day, it's still it's a derby. I know it's not like a local derby, but they class it as a derby. Um, and those games don't always go the way you would predict. We've seen it all ourselves a hundred times, so probably more than that. So sometimes, you know, it's just a wee bit lackluster. I mean, Liverpool have been lackluster a few times recently. They've, you know, they've got the wins. Probably similar to Arsenal when they've been getting wins, they've looked a bit off. Um grinding out results. Liverpool have been doing that too, but um, no, at the weekend there, I think for Man United, I think it's a good point. I think they'll be happy with it, mate, and they really, really need to start grinding points on the board. For all we think, we're talking about, like, you know, they're in trouble and things are bad. They're only they're seven, they're seventh, and there's only what, they're only nine points off Liverpool, I think, or maybe ten, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, six points away for the Champions League spot, um, and um, five off Tottenham in that European spot, and given the amount of criticism Man U's got, if you finish the year five points within European spot, then you're probably going to take it as a Man U fan. Um, if mm. if you can see the team on a bit of an ascendancy. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about that, and all with Man United that the 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 the, the scrutiny they are under. Um, I would argue all day that there is no team in that league that comes under the microscope like Man United does. Uh, the manager, the players, the media just jump on it and crucify them. But they don't really, it doesn't really paint a true picture. I'm not saying they haven't been off because they have, 
but I don't think it's as dire straits as we're being that the path they're leading us down. He could easily get a few results and he'd be right back in the mix. With that in mind, because I've probably been guilty of this on the pod as well about Eric Ten Hag saying just with the amount of shooting and the amount of pressure. And when we're saying he's just X amount of bad results away for the sack or one game away for the sack, then you can't recover for that. Am I maybe part of the problem? Am I maybe falling into um, the guilty party here? Um, like basically, I'm asking, does he see it the rest of the season? And we just need to maybe ignore the noise a wee bit. I think that's the problem, mate. I think you're right in a way because I think the noise does cause a problem. It does create pressure and it does put fan pressure, even their own fans, on that manager. Sometimes where it's not really required because for me, I think there's far bigger problems at Man United than the manager. There's only so managers, you, many managers you can chum through and give the same excuse about losing a dressing room before you start thinking there has to be something else at play here. Um, he said when he was brought in, he was there to try and remove the egos, hence why Ronaldo was moved on, which I thought was the right thing to do. Um, and I think he has been trying that, and probably a few of them don't like it. But none of us know for sure really what's going on there. We don't know what kind of relationship they have. We're only listening to what the media tell us. And it's easy to buy into that. We all do it. But does the board listen to that? Do they get put under that pressure? I suppose that's where the question lies. Uh, I really don't know, mate, because that I think that's what's caused the last five seconds is the noise, or at least it's it's definitely exasperated it. Definitely, and you know, like the UK media, like it's it's why we have fan podcasts like this. The UK media do thrive in drama. Um, if there is none, they will create some. So I think it's I maybe need to look at myself and talk about the Ten Hag situation because I'm still looking at man your expectations of 2003, and they're a different club. Um, you're right there. Um, yeah, mate, you've just nailed it. They are a different club, and the Man United fans, a lot of them don't want to accept that. They don't have the squad. They have far too much dead wood. They have far too many players that are not at the calibre that they once were because they had so much success for so long that you look at it now, you just have to realise that it's still a massive transition. If they want to get back to that, there's a long way to go to get to that. So... Staying at the top of the league because I think we've both agreed that Liverpool are still firmly title contenders. Um, and there's a handful of teams I think can really, well, it's not just the start of the season, but, but almost halfway through the season. And there's maybe I'm putting five teams in the conversation, but I think the other four teams have probably got more, more confidence because Man City, um, I continue to drop points. I may be putting too much weight or expectation on Man City there, but I think the more that they they slip up, the more hope it gives the rest of the challengers because we know they can go into this juggernaut mode. But another another, um, two points dropped at at home at Crystal Palace, um, 2-0 up, and in the second half, goals for Mateta and a 95th minute, um, at least penalty um, gets Palace a point. I should say to the listeners, obviously it's my fault again. I think the last few pods I've been on, I've told you about my last man standing picks. I'm in various last man standings, and you guessed it, had Man City in one of them this week, so I take the heat for that. But, but Johnny, um, time and time again, Man City kick in again in, in January. Um, but I think there's only so many times you can say that they will pull it back in January. Where, where do you see them um, right now? Um, I was just thinking about, excuse me, I wish I had checked that, uh, that we're at 17 games now, that's four draws and three losses. I'd love to match that against the last few seasons and see the kind of record they had at 17 games. If they've ever had that many points dropped or if that's an average because they do they, I mean, they don't start slow but sometimes they do start off the boil you know dropping points here and there we've seen it last season halfway through the season they were already a fair chunk of the way off arsenal and there were people writing them off saying it was arsenal's year and arsenal arsenal are going to do it at a canter and um, the problem is you 
first you have to know how the teams above Man City at that time are going to do. Are they going to handle that? How are they going to do with injuries? Um, we've seen Arsenal buckle last season. It could easily happen again. Second, you've got Man City, as you say. I said it before, Man City don't really get going till it's not, it's like maybe the, the first quarter of the season, towards the back end of the first quarter, that's when you see Man City kick into gear. And it's not like they've just done it last year, they've done it virtually every year. It's like a, a totally different team. And, the, and another thing we're forgetting is they've got KDB back in training now, and he's pretty much, he's pretty close for what I've read. I mean, that would be a huge boost for them. Huge boost, because I mean, that boy's a phenomenal talent, he's a huge player for City, and they have missed him. But no, I, I'm not overly concerned with the way things are in Man City. I think that'll that'll get put right. Uh, I think maybe need a wee bit longer, but I don't think we'll see much more of this. I think things will start to level out. It doesn't mean the other teams won't keep up with the pace. Nobody knows, but I think Man City will definitely kick into a different gear. So last season, this after 17 games, they were in 41 points. Season before, after 17 games, they were in 38 points. Both seasons, um, no, sorry, um, no, I've read that wrong. I'll, I'll just go away last um, last year. 41 points after 17 games, two points behind Arsenal. I think you do make a, a good point um, on Kevin De Bruyne coming back and obviously um, they were missing the main man, Erlen Haaland. But even without they two, they still have the strongest depth in the in the league. They, they do that. So bring back to the arguably the, the greatest striker in the world right now. Kevin De Bruyne, he's in the top, what, five, six midfielders in the world. Bringing that into your squad, um, it's... It, it, change, it would change any team's um, title challenges, but just adding that on to the, the strongest squad, it's, it's a game changer. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I think how many times can you do it? And I might be underestimating um, the genius of Pep Guardiola here. How many times can you choose to turn into the switch on the relentless button in January? Um, is it maybe because you've got, like, in the first half of the season, a lot of Champions League football, League Cup football, then it gets to the business end? But I, I don't know how many times can you do that. I might be, I might be sounded silly in May by saying that. I think the, this is the season um, that they've released the most talent that was crucial to that squad. Compared to previous seasons where you're, um, you know, with Gundogan going, your Cancelo's away, um, there was more than that, but it'll come to my head. But they, they, they were huge players for City, especially in that treble last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that has to leave a mark, definitely. And I, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. If KDB, especially, if they get him fit and he stays fit for a good run, his assists alone for Haaland last season when Haaland was flying was just obscene. Nearly as I've seen as Haaland's goals itself. The two of them link up really well. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. It has to, it can't go on forever, definitely. I mean, and like I say, I am not saying they're going to 100% nail it because we have no idea what the other teams are going to do. They could do the same thing. I have no idea. Uh, but I do think they'll be there and I do think they'll still be the team we beat. I do, especially with that kind of talent in the squad. When you've got those kind of players, even if you've lost a few, I think uh, they have all the momentum, and I think the you know they hold the uh, they hold the flush. Aye, they do. And, and just moving on to the other teams, then legally does Arsenal um, three points uh, behind where they were last season, um, but you know uh, they they put a gap of five points between themselves and Man City, only a point ahead of Liverpool and um, Aston Villa. I thought this might have been a, a tricky tie for them. Um, they did leave it late to really cement it. Um, 
Jesus getting the goal in the 53rd minute, then Havertz putting it to bed in the 87th, and you think where one goal lead Brighton always have a chance of getting back into the game. Um, but it's, you know, they go over the line, and again, second half of last season's last season, maybe games they wouldn't have got over the line, and maybe the pressure would have built a wee bit, but what was your thoughts in, in that game? Uh, to be honest, score-wise, it was pretty much what I expected. I think I actually predicted 2-0 in the, the wee prediction league would do. Um, I think Brighton are maybe suffering a wee bit now with uh, the Euro football, and they're probably getting more, more injuries due to that with the extra game load that they've had before. Uh, I thought it was pretty pretty standard for them, mate. Pretty much a, a straightforward win. Brighton are always dangerous, you know. You can never ever write them off. Uh, but I just think they are maybe I wouldn't say struggling because they're still winning games. They're probably just not as consistent as they was they were before. Sorry, but we spoke about this again. I think pre-season we had said, especially your Brightons, your Villas has probably been the more surprising how well they've dealt with Newcastle we're seeing de that decimated squad excuse my dogs um, again I think it just comes down to fixture load so I think Brighton are probably it's not the Brighton I would have expected to see I guess that's what I'm trying to say but I mean Arsenal were pretty professional and got the job done but I mean it's still like you say it's very very close up there mate it's not like last season where they were creating a gap that you know there's virtually nothing there and I, and I think um, the, the question will always be labelled to Arsenal um, if they can go the distance until they actually do go the distance uh, because it's been so long since they have been serious title contenders year on year. Last year was very much an outlier. Um, they, they don't do it consistently. Um, so that, that, that is just something they're going to have to deal with in the pressure. Um, so just on the berating point... Um, just to kind of jump away from the top of the league and we'll go back to it. At time of recording, they're getting beat 1-0 away at Crystal Palace. Um, and we have said it till we're blue in the face about Brighton struggling with um, the European football. So Newcastle now don't have any... Newcastle, man, you, neither of them have any European football after um, after Christmas. Um, and they're in sixth and seventh place. West Ham... Well, they, they are still in European competition, they tend to cope with it a wee bit better. Uh, they've coped with it in recent years better than um, Brighton have, and they're probably more used to it by now. Chelsea, just four points behind Brighton, and you know, there still is maybe the opinion that they might come good at the end of the year. I don't see Brighton getting getting European football, if I'm being honest. Um, I think I've been worried about this for a couple of months and I think halfway through the season, I think it's a big ask for them to get that, particularly when they're going to be playing Europe, uh, the knockout tournaments after Christmas. Yeah, I would expect to see it level out a wee bit for, you know, with, with Man United and Newcastle, especially Newcastle. I think we've seen it more there, but they've been Desperately unlucky with injuries. I mean, it's a horrendous list, and they're slowly, slowly recovering, but they're still miles off. But I never realised, I actually only noticed this today, that how that Brighton actually have quite a, a heavy list of sell. And so, like, before tonight, they've got Nciso out, who was huge for them. You know, he was starting to come into his game, the young lad. Estupinan's a big player for them. He's out. Ansu Fati, who they brought in for Barca, he's out. Lamptey. Out Sonny March, I mean, he's a cracking player. He's out. Joel Veltman, huge for them. He's out. And Webster. So, I mean, they have that's every one of them's a first team starter. That's what did I say? There's seven or eight players out. So, take that, add in the heavy fixture load. I think that's when you start getting more and more injuries and it gets harder to cover it. I think that's what we're seeing with Brighton. They don't really have the depth for using more and more kids who don't really have Premier League experience. So, it's quite. And I don't like to see it. I have a wee bit of a soft spot for Brighton, but I suppose that's part of the game when you want to compete on every bit of competition you can. Yeah, and I think it's there's no harm in getting to a level and saying, okay, we didn't quite prepare for this, let's, but let's go again and fix it next year. Like, I, I think it, I'd be heartbroken if they regressed and they started going down the leagues as of next season. Um, I think teams like Brighton and Brentford did 
build from the bottom up and they, they're sensible with their infrastructure. It's, football clubs run properly, um, unlike the, the likes of Man U. So yeah. I do think they'll have enough to bounce back. If they don't get European football, they'll bounce back next year, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's okay and just getting to a level and seeing right, we weren't quite prepared for it, let's go again. I think you need a huge slice of luck, Colin. I think you really do. When you when you want to sustain, whether it's just consistency or a challenge or winning a trophy, you need a lot of luck, especially with injuries. Um, you've seen perfect example was Liverpool's title win. And it's not a dig, Jamie, when you listen to this back. You would admit it yourself, but they had the best run of luck with injuries that season. They had a thin squad. They, they won the league um, that was during COVID, if you remember. And I mean, they were excellent. They were they were dominant. They were excellent. But they nearly all of the top players had nothing more than minor injuries. Um, so you need that slice of luck. You really do. Uh, and I think you're Brighton, you're Newcastle, and there's most teams in the league that are suffering. But they're not having that luck at all, and it's making it harder and harder. But I think for Brighton as well, levels out. So many young players there; they're getting more experience. They're being thrown into the deep end. It's not going to do them any do them any harm. So I think in the long run, as long as they can hold on to those players, they should be okay. Jumping back up to the top of the league, Johnny, um, a team we've given so much praise so far in this calendar year, actually, um, end, of, end of last season when we were given a, a player over the years and stuff, um, I, I touted um, Emery for manager of the season. I thought um, the way he's turned around Aston Villa was, was excellent. Um, they're a point off Arsenal at the top of the league um, and uh, it looked a, a shaky game for them um, in Saturday um, against Brentford where they went 1-0 down and they're on the stroke at half time and they left it late, um, 30 minutes to go to pull one back and then get the winner five minutes from time. Um, I say a shaky game, they did dominate most of the ball, but I thought that when they go one down, it's um I, I was interested to see how how's the character uh, come back to that. But you've just spoke about work there and uh, I know you and Jamie the last few weeks have talked about their squad depth and they're not really missing too many players with injury. That that might be a factor in how far they go this year. I think they prepared prepared really well. Villa, um, I think they knew they, they knew that they had to to improve that squad. They needed more quality, more depth, and they've done that. And yeah, I would agree. They they've been okay with injuries, nothing too heavy anyway. Definitely had some, but I mean they've been I mean, they've been a breath of fresh air. They really have. They've been excellent. They're good to watch. They're free flowing. Um, and what I, I like about Emery is when a game's not working, he knows how to change it. He reacts fast. He's done that a few times. He's not afraid to hook at half time, even if it's like one 0 He gave them time at the weekend to to try and rectify it. I think he made his subs on the hour, but then the game changed. Um, he brought on. I, I tell you, a player that's really really came on is Leon Bailey. Um, he's looking fantastic. Um, I mean, there was always a, a, a there were signs there that you know that, that there was a player, but he's been unlucky with injuries as well. But he's getting a good run now, and he's he's been phenomenal for him. He really has. Um, but and the, the other lad that scored, Moreno, he's been away for a while. He's had a long injury too. He's a good player too. It's another player back to their depth. So yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think they signed well, they've added depth, and they're dealing with the, all the football really, really well. Uh, if they keeps going like that, mate, they could easily still be up there. And signed well, absolutely. Some some players have come in just taking that team a level above, but. Even the likes of Leon Bailey, um, Matty Cash, and guys like John McGinn, um, who was never terrible under Gerard, but he's he just seems to be back at that level we were talking about um, a couple of years ago um, when we were asking how much money does he go for. Ollie Watkins getting a goal as well. What was already there? They're well coached, well drilled, well trained, and um, you know having that confidence to try and let players play themselves back in there, albeit. Yes, at the weekend he had to he had to make the changes to get that, but I think that shows you how far these players have come, where the manager puts faith and no just a knee jerk change it straight away. No, uh, I agree with him. He's um, I don't think 
I thought JL was maybe a wee bit out of his depth there, maybe just a bit too soon. You know, needed more time in the game. Um, it was a huge jump for him. And Emery is a very, very astute coach. I mean, I think most people will tell you that he got cut short at Arsenal, way too short. You know, they were far too scattered on with that, that dismissal. Um, he just has a really good football head, mate, and it's showing. It's showing. It's. Um, I mean, I would say I was still a wee bit surprised. I didn't expect him to do terribly. You know, I thought he would do okay, but I didn't expect him to be up there pretty much in the challenging zone. So you can only give full credit for that, mate. I mean, they didn't spend a fortune this season. I think, I don't know what they spent, actually, but it must be, what, 80 million? Is that right? We should caveat caveat that with a fortune in comparison of Premier League deals. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. I'm trying to remember myself because Diaby, I think, was about 50 and Torres was 30s, 30s. But I mean, even then, that's two fantastic players with high quality. Um, and it, I mean, it's a horrendous amount of money, but given what we're seeing teams playing, it's a good price. Um, and obviously, the same players within the Premier League and that as well. So, no, can only can only sing the, the praises, mate. I think uh, it's a long season. We'll see how they go on. But so far, they've done excellent. And I wonder, because they've no, in Premier League terms, because they've no broke the bank in, in the summer, will they add some some additions in January? Obviously, it's always a tough window, but when you look at, there's a, there's a European, uh, there's, there's a Euros this summer. Um, I wonder if we'll maybe see Aston Villa, um, you know, add a wee bit more depth because it's European football after the after the, the winter break and uh, in the, the the dizzying heights of third right now. Like, I wonder if we will see some. I don't think they'll bring a lot of players, but one or two solid additions. I, I think we could could see that happening. I think with success, um, when they start getting a feel for that, which they will be in right now, that yeah, I think the temptation is always there to add a wee bit more depth uh, and keep it going, give them more options if if uh, Emery needs it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, mate. I, I never actually answered your question about John McGinn. I love seeing John McGinn do well, mate. Honestly. You know, it's exactly. more just a case of, It's just because... It's one... Jamie, I'll tell you this, right? I'm not blowing on Trump, but I called this years ago. Years ago that he belonged at a higher level. Um, and also to see one of our own homegrown going down there and being successful. It's lovely to see. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them spend some money, mate. I think they have the money. They, they have a really good revenue. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So, we've ran through most of the fixtures, so I touched on them uh, mainly. There wasn't too many other shots, uh, mostly Spurs beating Nottingham Forest comfortably 2-0. Um, Chelsea beating bottom of the league, Sheffield United 2-0. Um, a team I want to ask you about before we finish up... Um, Newcastle United um, 3-0 victory against Fulham. Fulham have looked all right the past few weeks. Um, and Newcastle obviously been kind of stop-start um, in general with first time in Europe in a long time, ravaged with injuries, as you said. But um, pretty, obviously, going down against uh, Fulham, going down to 10 men would have helped at no end. But how did you see their performance um, on, on Saturday? That was uh, Fulham, yeah. Um, well, the game in general, Fulham and Newcastle. Yeah, no, no, I'm just remembering the fixtures, mate. I'm uh, heads a bit scattered on the day. Yeah, it's uh, they've been a wee bit, a wee bit erratic, really. But I kind of put that down to so much extra football, um, and like you've just touched on, the injuries are horrendous. Um, they are, they're always going to be up and down when you have that much, that many players out. I mean, their defence has been a complete patch-up for weeks and weeks now. And they're playing some of the best teams in Europe as well. Uh, but, I mean, that's a good result. That's a good result. When you look at the way um, Fulham have been, because that was prior to that game, Fulham had scored, I think it was 16 goals in four games. Mm -hmm. Before that. Um, I mean, they beat, obviously Liverpool beat them, but they scraped that one. I mean, Liverpool were excellent in that game as well. 
the the turnover rules and then they go and stick five past Forest and five past West Ham. I mean the West Ham one was a complete shock result. So I expected maybe expected a wee bit more for Fulham. But then you have to give the credit to Newcastle. I think it's a good result for them, mate. Um it was in between Champions League games as well. Uh, I think when we get like you said, they're coming out of European football. Uh, I think once that that happens now and you'll start seeing that once the injuries start coming coming back uh, to full fitness I think we'll see a much stronger Newcastle well, much more consistent anyway Yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how they do get on because I, I'm not, I was surprised when they didn't sign heavily in the summer um, because I thought after such a strong season last year they would have they would have broke the bank and really went for it this year. So I'm interested to see how this squad copes just with domestically for the second season without the distraction of European football because it still is, mm. like at the bare bones, it is still a really decent squad full of talent. I think the crazy thing was with the, with the squad was go back a few weeks, uh, maybe a wee bit more than that, they had a horrendous amount of injuries in defence. Um, I mean, it was really bad. They're still missing. Uh, I think Fabian Shell's got a knock now. Kraft obviously took a dunk at the weekend, uh, courtesy uh, Levi Cobble, and then Target's out as well. But now in the middle of the park, it's kind of flipped. Now they're missing. Gordon's got a knock for this weekend. Joe Linton's out. Jacob Murphy's out. Anderson's out. Harvey Barnes is out. Tenali's obviously missing. And Joe Lillick's out as well. So midfield-wise, other than trying to think, Bruno, Almiron, and Longstaff's just back. After that, it's kids. So now the midfield's absolutely toiling as well. You know, it's just, it's weird how it's flipped positions. Um, but with, New, sorry, with Newcastle spending, um, one thing I, I was considering today was, I kind of think the same. I think we kind of expected that money to come in. And obviously they have to balance the financial fair play and that. So that kind of constrains them. But I expected to see far more activity as well. I was thinking about when Man City got taken over originally. I don't know if you remember back then, but when Man City started to transition for, you know, having no success in the lower leagues when they got bought over, the players they were bringing originally, they weren't signing huge stars. You know, they were spending money, but they weren't buying these big names. They maybe bought one or two, um, but mostly it was like... You know, it was like Germany. Remember, like big Sean Gota, he was playing up front for a few seasons. Aye, the goat feed the goat, and he'll score. And, and so who they, was the boy feed? Who was the boy that Blackburn? Was it Rocky Santa Cruz? Uh, did they sign him? Well, who was the boy they signed Blackburn? Was it Rocky Santa signed, Cruz? I'm trying to remember. They they signed um they signed a Brazilian lad. The, the really tricky winger. I can't remember his bloody name. Is it? It wasn't a battle. Um, Robinho. Yeah, that's the one. That was me. I think that was their first real star signer. Um, yeah, you're right. He did go to City. He went to City. Blackburn to City in 2009. He was there for four years. Uh, so yeah, like I say, they weren't spending huge amounts, but then it kind of just went mental. It was like, find their feet, spend a wee bit of money, see where we are, and then we'll properly go at it. I think we might see similar with Newcastle. Um, I was going to say financial fair play will come into, but it didn't really come into play for City, did it? <laughs> it's just catching up with them now, with their eight trillion charges. Aye, they've got a good 10 years until they need to worry about that, Newcastle. Um, yeah. But, Johnny, I think that's a I think that's a good time to, to, to wrap up. That's just us going to the real mark. Is there anything else you want to um, run through for the listeners before we finish up? No, not at all, mate. I think uh, for me it would just be, I hope you all have a lovely Christmas. All the best for the new year. Hopefully we can fit a show in between Christmas and New Year. Um, this could be the last one. Aye, um, just echo that. Um Plenty of football played over the festive period. I hope everybody enjoys it, enjoys times off with their, their loved ones or friends and just uh, just go and eat. Um, 
eat and be gluttonous and enjoy yourself, man. And a massive thank you to everybody who's supported the pod um, in the Premier League show this year. Um, uh, another wee shout out, we launched our Patreon this week. So if you do like more of what you see uh, or what you hear even, um, give us a wee like just a pound a month you get uh, up an extra show every day. Um, but no, I'm very Merry Christmas to all when it comes. Johnny, thank you for joining as always, mate. Always a pleasure, mate. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a good year. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, Merry Christmas all. Take care.